the thought or title of the focus that I would have today um, kind of changed from, from Monday morning what I felt like the direction I was going in. I still intend to go in that direction. But this morning, I just want to introduce a thought or a statement. Uh, committed, heads or tails. Committed, heads or tails. Most of you know that heads or tails is a way that a football team would determine who gets a, uh, who gets the, gets to punt or gets to receive. We know that we will flip a coin to make some decisions. And, and I'm here to tell you this morning that whatever way the ball bounces, God is in control. Here, quiet punch this morning. If I. Whoa, yes, good preaching, Pastor. Make it plain. Shake that tree. Hunt that dog. There we go. Now, if I can do that every time I say something good, we're going to be here a long time today. The uh, Chris could probably tell you more, but when an L1011 is on the runway and they accelerate to a certain speed, there, there comes a window there, there comes a slot in time when uh, they can't back down. They have to fly that plane. And I am told that the pilot contacts the, the control tower and says, I'm committed, Chris. I don't know if they still do that or not, but I understand that was their, that was the statement of saying, we have to take off. We can't, we're going too fast. We're at a place now where we have to fly this plane. And so that's kind of the thought that I wanted to share with you today. I received a text this week from a lifelong friend, a friend of 30 years. Many of you have enjoyed the ministry of uh, Lemuel Miller, world karate uh, champion, was the only one that I know of to ever defeat Chuck Norris in competition. He actually invented or created a, uh, a, new, uh, a, a new kick, a flying kick that they introduced it into the Black Belt Association been around the block, has done some incredible things. He now is the apostle to uh, several hundred pastors. Apostle Ron Cottles, who's been in ministry a long time, 60, 60 some odd years, is now raising Lemuel up to take the covering of several hundred pastors involved, and Lemuel has been doing that. But about every three or four days, Lemuel will send me an encouraging text, and this was something that I just thought was so encouraging. I want to read it exactly as he gave it to me. And the thought here is, how does one acknowledge God's blessings? How many knows today that we are blessed? The fact that we're here today and not in the hospital, we're blessed. The fact that we're here today and not in jail or prison, we're blessed. The fact that we're here today and not on some kind of binge, we, we are blessed. He uh, goes a little deeper than that. Let me just read this if I may. How does one acknowledge God's blessings? Simple. Just say, thank you, Lord, and mean it from your heart. What blessings should you acknowledge? If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of this world. If you have money in your bank, if you have money in your bank, in your wallet, and spare change, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. And if you get this on your own computer or cell phone, you are part of the 1% of the world who has that opportunity. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than the many who will not even survive the day. If you've never experienced the fear and battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of salvation, the, the, the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 700 million people in the world. If you can attend a church without the fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you're envied by and more blessed than 3 billion people in the world. If your parents are still alive and still married, you are very rare.
Pastor Ron and I both had that lesson. If you can hold your head up and smile, you're not the norm. You're unique to all those in doubt and despair. If you can read this message, you've just received a double blessing and that someone was thinking of you as a very special and you are more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world who cannot read and write. Well, what a blessed generation. How, how, how blessed. God said, God said, don't forget me. Don't forget me. I give you the power to get wealth. And he allows us to take that wealth and disperse it. Committed heads or tails. If you'll go with me, first of all, to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We know that this is the chapter of heroes, the, the chapter of warriors. Some of these heroes had great miracles, great manifestation of God's power. The second half of the chapter deals with those that didn't have great miracles. They didn't have great deliverance. They were murdered. They were tortured. They were destitute. They were hiding in, in dens and caves of the earth the, 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 to carry the gospel. There was affliction. There was pain. There were several million murdered right when the church was first established that they were put to death because Nero didn't want to compete with the power of God. And so Hebrews tells us about great men and women. And the third person that, the, that Hebrews refers to is called the, the heavenly hope of, of a man by the name of Noah. Everybody say Noah. Noah. Verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to the faith. And now if you'll look at Genesis 6, verse 31. And this is what we're going to focus on today for just a few minutes. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Incredible story of, of Noah. Several weeks ago I preached a sermon uh, ten things I learned on Noah's Ark. Just walked through the entire story. Uh, they were probably afloat almost a year, nine months to 12 months. I don't know that it, it ever rained upon the face of the earth. The Bible's not that clear. The Bible says the dew in Genesis uh, 2 came up from the ground and watered the earth. So I don't know if they ever had storm clouds or, or hurricanes or tornadoes. I don't know if any of that type of weather was present before uh, Noah took on the chore that God gave him. I want to just talk a little bit this morning about some of the things that I uh, want to re reiterate concerning the life of Noah. I would say that Noah was committed. I'd say that he was committed heads or tails, whatever way it was going to go. But, but he was committed to what? He was committed to something that he had never seen, never heard. There were no boats. There were no sails. There were no that, that none of that took place. And so this is a brand new day for Noah. And what is so ironic, he's like 600 years old when God calls him. 600, I mean, how scary would it be 600 years without a purpose or a destiny? But Noah did something right. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Something that God saw about Noah, apparently the entire world had become evil. The word says that the, the, the hearts and imagination of men were evil in every area of their life. But there was a man that was not evil. There was a man that did the right thing. And because he was at the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, God called him. You might have to apologize the way I pronounced this name because I couldn't find anybody that really knew how to, how to say it. But in 1948, Korzak Zilokoski, let's call him Zilokoski just for the fun of it, 
was commissioned by Latoka Chief Henry Standing Bear to design a mountain carving that would honor the famous war leader, Crazy Horse. Ironically, Crazy Horse never allowed himself to be photographed, so you wonder how he felt to learn that there was a 563-foot-high statue of himself carved in the granite face of the Black Hills. Has anybody ever witnessed that? Chris, have you guys been that way? Ever? I've been to Mount Rushmore, but I've never seen uh, this particular carving. Ziokowski Zio invested more than three decades of his life carving the larger-than-life statue that is eight feet taller than the Washington Monument, eight feet taller, and nine times larger than the faces on Mount Rushmore. How many has been to Mount Rushmore? I think it's three presidents and Ulysses S. Grant, isn't it, Chris? Or is it three presidents and then, then, then the general? It's phenomenal. It's incredible. It's hard to imagine. You can actually set a picnic table on the shoulder of General Grant. That's how large it was. But this statue is nine times larger than Mount Rushmore. Since Korzak's death in 1982, the Ziokowski family has carried on their father's vision, and they continued the carving. The projected date, watch this, of completion is 2050, just shy of a 100-year mark. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, that a family would commit 100 years this impressive carving in, 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 in the Black Hills. However, this great task is falls 20 years short of the task that Noah took on. They, they, when God called Noah, I don't know that Noah knew it was going to take 120 years to complete the task, but what an a task it was. Let me tell you a little bit about the ark. The ark measured 300 cubits in length, and I'll put that in human terms in a minute, 50 cubits in width, and 30 cubits in height. In the Hebrew system of measurement, a cubit is 17.5 inches, so that would make the ark 430 foot long, that's a football field and a half, 73 feet wide, which would be wider than this church facility, and 43 foot high. What an what a incredible boat that Noah built in a season when there were no boats. This 30, I was sharing with the guys earlier this morning, this 35-3 ratio is a ratio that these, car, these carnival, these, these, these cruises that go out in the ocean, they are built on this ratio. It's the perfect ratio for a boat to survive in a storm. And how ironic that God gave Noah the, the exact dimensions that they were going to survive the storm of all storms. Did that touch anybody or bless anybody? This, this internal volume of the ark, and this may or may not mean anything to you, was 1,518,750 cubic feet, which is the equivalent of 569 boxcars. If you've ever been to a railroad track and seen the boxcars go back, this boat, the volume of this boat was 569 boxcars. If the animals were the average size of a sheep, this ark would be able to have a capacity to contain 125,000 animals. Does that impress anybody? To put it into perspective, and I've not been to the Washington, D.C. Zoo, the National Zoo, but it has 2,000 animals from 400 different species. That means that you could fit on Noah's Ark 60 national zoos. Somebody say, wow. 
I mean, not only did this, this ark require brains and muscle, but can you, can you imagine the creative genius? The Bible says that God gave Noah a special recipe, and somewhere in the, later in the Bible, this same word used for this recipe is the same word defined anointing. But God gave Noah this secret recipe to, to create a pitch that would, that would bathe the boat from the inside out to keep the water from leaking because this boat floated for almost nine months to a year. How, how incredible is that? Many people say, the Jewish tradition says that Noah didn't just start building the ark, he planted trees. And he waited for the trees to get to a, to a size that he could take the trees, cut them into planks, and begin to build. I would say that's going all out for God. I would say that's committed. To Noah, it wasn't a sprint. It was a marathon. It didn't seek 15 minutes of fame like an like Olympic athlete. It seeks eternal glory. It doesn't care about public opinion, but it lives for the applause of nail-scarred hands. How good of a Lord to hang. Towards the end of his life, this guy that spent his entire life in this carving in the Black Hills was asked a question, how can you devote your entire life to one task? And he simply said, when your life is over, watch this, Hannah, when your life is over, the world will ask you only one question. Did you do what you were supposed to do? Steve, that's not just a good question. That's the question. Did you do what you're supposed to do. It can't be answered with words. It has to be answered with the details of your life. Noah built the ark because God commanded him to build it. That's what he was supposed to do. That was his destiny. Sawing planks and, and nailing and, and sanding and putting all the pieces together. That was his purpose. Those were the acts of obedience. And watch this. When you look at the Bible, this is the longest act of obedience in the entire Bible from start to finish, Noah's act of obedience took 43,800 days. Look at somebody and say, that was commitment. No matter what tool you trade today, whether it's a hammer, a keyboard, a mop, a football, a spreadsheet, a microphone, or espresso machine, what you do in life is an act of obedience, and what you do should bring God glory on the job, off the job, in the home, out of the home, at church, off the church, on the softball field. Everywhere you go, your life should be a reflection of what the ability and talents God has given you to do, and you do it as well as you possibly can. Amen. Dr. Martin Luther King said this 50 years ago. He said this, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music, Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. What a, what, a, what, a, what a thing on the epitaph. He did what God told him to do. And Paul said, whatsoever you do, do with all your might, do with all your strength, do it with excellence to the glory of God. Can you imagine Noah's, of course, Noah had probably seen the evil of the land, I'm sure, that I'm sure this, this movie coming out with Russell Crowe is going to show us kind of maybe how evil the land was and how deteriorated it had become. But can you imagine, I don't know what he was doing. He may have been flipping hamburgers. He may have been plowing. He may be in the house talking with the kids. But can you imagine what went through Noah's mind when God told him to build a boat? 
I mean, first of all, he didn't have a dictionary to look and see what a boat was. You know, what's, what's a boat, God? Hello. And, 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 and the mindset of, of, I guess, just obeying God. Just, I, mean, just, I mean, he didn't even have a cognitive category to, to, to allow his mind to comprehend what God wanted him to, to build. But the Bible says he obeyed every jot and tittle of the revelation that God gave him. Genesis 6, 31 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, I don't know about you, but let me tell you how I, I operate in life. I like for God to reveal the next step before I take the first step. Can anybody relate? But I've learned if I don't take the first step, God probably won't reveal the second step. In other words, there's got to be there's got to be a season of obedience to the revelation that God has given us because if we don't, we're going to get stuck spiritually. Here's what I, I believe about me. I want more revelation before I obey more, but God wants more obedience before he reveals more. Think about that just for a minute. I want more revelation. He wants more obedience. He's God. I've learned if we do it his way, good things are going to happen. If we do it my way, it will probably crash and burn. Can anybody relate? A, a lot of us have the, the, the attitude, we're going to follow Christ to the point of presence. In other words, we really don't want to go to a place that we haven't gone before. We like to stay where we're at, and I think that's where we get stuck because it's unfamiliar territory. But by doing that, we are not claiming the gifts, the fruits, the abilities, the talents, the miracles that God has for us because we won't get out of the box and take that second step of faith. I, I wrote here in the margin of my notes, if God wants you to do something new, you can't always keep doing what you're doing. Mike Murdoch said, in order to be something you've never been, finish it for me. You've got to do something you have never done. Well, we're talking about animals, and we're talking about zoos, and Noah obviously was the first zoologist because he was called not just to build an ark, but to take enough food on board to feed the animals for this season. I want to talk to you about the impala. I don't know if you've ever been to the zoo and seen an impala from Africa, but it has the ability to jump 10 foot high and 30 foot long. How would you possibly contain that kind of animal in the zoo? It's easy. It's easy. You build a three-foot wall because an Apollo won't jump something that it can't see where it's going. How many of us have that same problem? We want a money-back guarantee before we take a step of faith, but that eliminates faith. And sometimes we need to take literally a flying leap of faith. Uh, was not necessarily my favorite movie, but many of you may or may not know that originally 34 years ago, I was licensed under the covering of A.A. A. Allen. That was, the, that was the spiritual father that gave me permission, according to the state of California, to preach and to minister, to do weddings, to do funerals. And in the season of A.A. A. Allen, there were several great tent evangelists, and Hollywood did a, did a movie to make fun of the tent evangelists, to make fun of all of the hoopla and all of the excitement. And they entitled it Leap of Faith, and in that movie, Steve Martin was a, he was a, uh, he was a fraud. He was a phony. He was, he conducted himself in a church service. He had a choir behind him. That was awesome. But he was using microphones, using speakers, and, and he was calling people out, acting like he knew about them, but he didn't know about them. He had been told all of that. 
And so the movie kind of depicts this tent revival thing kind of uh, in, a, in a negative light. But at the end of the movie, I don't know if you remember the movie, but in the movie, there was a miracle. And, and, and God actually stepped in and healed a little boy. And it blew Steve Martin's, just blew his mind. And he left, the, he left all of that and just started walking down the road trying to find God. I think that's what a, a leap of faith is all about. I think sometimes we need to take a leap of faith whether our friends approve or not. I think sometimes we take a leap of faith not really realizing where that we're headed. You know, there's a difference between a God idea and a good idea, and usually a good, a good idea unfounded will go away. But if it's a God idea, it will gnaw at you, it will tug at you, it will pull at you. You'll wake up dreaming about it. You'll wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep thinking about it, and that's what we call a God, a God idea. But if you want to discover new lands, you have to leave the shore. Help me. You've got to leave the shore. You've got to leave the land of familiarity behind. And we've got to sail past the predictable. And when we do, we get a spiritual hunger for the unprecedented. And we begin to expect miracles in every single area of our life. We lose our appetite for the normal. And we seem to get a taste of God's favor, God's love. And we like staying there. That's a good place to be in the favor of God. This week, two or three times, some things were happening, I think, with Carmen. I said, Carmen, that's favor. That's divine. Only God. We, we prayed together and asked God to send us on the computer to the right source, the right place, what could be a blessing. And God miraculously did that, brought that source to her. And it was a God thing. And that's what favor is all about. The Bible says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor is more than just, than just grace. And in, in this world that was so evil... There was one man that made a difference. One man stood out. Noah stood out. The favor of God is God doing something for you that you cannot do for yourself. Your, 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 your talent will take you to the top. Your character will keep you at the top. But there are times when God will operate and do things that you absolutely said, there's no way I did this on my own. There's no way. This had to be a God moment. This had to be a God thing. It's favor, God's favor that opens the door of opportunity, Mish, you watch God door after door after door. Had to be favor in a in a in a society. And let me, let me be careful in a society that really doesn't want to promote the woman the way she should be promoted, and paying the woman what she should be paid. In a world that we live in, God gave Mish favor, opened doors for her that others did not see those doors open. And I believe that's the divine favor of God, being His child and trusting in Him. It's favor that turns opposition into support. When she first started out, there were several probably didn't want to promote her, didn't want to bless her, didn't want to see her do so well. But she performed so well, now she has friends that are cheering her on and pleased with what's going on in their life. It's his favor that can help you land the promotion, make the list, or seal the deal. It's his favor. I think that, I think that probably what I pray for more than anything else, is favor in my life, favor with my children, favor with my wife, favor in, in, in relationship and ministry, favor this church. Lord, give us favor. Luke 2 and 52 says, May you grow in wisdom and statute and in favor with God and with men. How do you find favor? Short answer. I mean, we could do a series. Paula White did six hours teaching on finding the favor of God. But in a short, just a short answer, how do you find favor? I'm going to say obedience. 
Obedience is better than sacrifice. I think it's simply obeying what God is putting in your heart and spirit. And obedience starts by surrendering. And we all know that you put your hands up when you surrender. Surrender our hearts and lives, not just to the saving power of Jesus Christ, but to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he actually becomes the Lord of your life. We sing this song that says, if you're not Lord of everything, then you're not Lord at all. He can't just be favor two or three areas of your life, but he, but he has got to be there in every single, in everything that you do, you seek his favor, you surrender yourself to him. On the very first sermon that Jesus preached, he proclaimed the favor of God and then sealed the deal through Calvary and resurrection. He sealed the fact that if we don't hold out on God, he said, Father, save me from this. Save me. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He didn't hold out on God. And I have learned if you don't hold out on God, God won't hold out on you. That's worth a shout, a cheer. Jot that down in your book. Uh, Psalm says, no good thing will God withhold from them that walk uprightly. And uprightly is not just by doing good. It's not by not cussing, not drinking, not punching somebody out, not cutting somebody off. Like today, Christine and I went to McDonald's, and this girl, this woman in this minivan cut me off. I ordered before her. I don't like that McDonald's split line. That's just, that just irritating, gets on my nerves. That's not the way I used to roll. And she, and she cut me off. And then there was somebody up front. We don't know what. It took them 10 minutes to get the money, get it back. I'm trying to study, trying to get the house of God, trying to pray, trying to get ready. And when that woman, she had a little dent in her bumper. When she pulled in front of me, I'm thinking, I'll show her a dent. I just ram her. I'll just ram her right up. Oh, she wants to get in front of me. I'll, I'll nudge her along. And I actually thought about putting it down in low and not really hurting her, but just bumping her bumper and pushing her a little bit and, and letting her know that I approve of her getting in front of me, that I'm glad she cut me off and took time away from my study and prayer. Can I get an amen in the, in the building? Favor is positioning ourselves Walking in humility and purity. Humble, contrite spirit. Love what God loves. Hate what God hates. And try to follow that format that understand that every promise is yes in Christ. Every spiritual birth blessing becomes our birthright. God has promised us so many things that I think that we failed to claim. I think we failed to redeem. I think we failed to call out. I think we failed to reach out. I think we failed to pursue and I've, I've learned early in life, God really doesn't force things upon you. He'll bring scenarios into your life to help you make the right decision. But as far as twisting your arm and making you say, uncle, that's not the way God op operates. And I believe there are many people in life that do not realize their destiny, don't realize their purpose, don't realize the abilities and talents that God has given them, and they miss it all. They completely, I mean, they may do well in the business world, they may do well in the sector world, but as, as really being what God wants them to be, they really don't have a clue, and I so, I so hate that. Let me tell you about Noah. Noah, the favor of God in Noah's life wasn't just in the spiritual realm, but it was also in the natural realm. And something about consecration, I, I, I want to mention this. If we consecrate ourselves to God, he won't just be our vanguard, but he'll be our rear guard. Does that, does that, does that make sense? He will, he will watch you going in and coming out, laying down rising up. He'll let you be the head and not the tail. So many things that happen when you realize what is your, 
what, what is your, your, your birthright? What are the things that God promised that you can have when you submit your life to him? Noah was the Leonardo da Vinci and the Thomas and Edison of his era. He didn't just build the first ship and start the shipbuilding industry. He also had a wild, wide variety of patents. According to J Jewish tradition, Noah invented, are you ready for this? The plow, the machete, the hoe, and a number of other implements used for cultivating the ground. The favor of God in Noah's life translated to God's ideas. I mean, I mean, what a what a what a what an invention to invent the hoe. What an invention to invent the, the to invent the plow to cut the dry ground up and break it forth so you could put the seed in to grow the trees. I mean, what a who'd who'd have thought of that? Who'd have, I mean we'd have been out there doing it the hard way, but God gave Noah a thought. The same guy that created the soundboard, the same guy that created the telephone, the guy that created the pop top off the Coke can. I mean, there's so many, I think there's so many God ideas out there, so many, so many new things. I said, I said, the guy that creates a machine that you talk into it and it types out. I said that 15 years ago. The guy, do you remember that, Pastor Rhonda? The guy that invents the, the, the system that you speak the word and it types it as you're saying it, that guy's going to be a millionaire. And two or three years ago, that's exactly what happened through Apple. Somebody created that kind of software and now you talk right into a microphone and it types. And it doesn't get every word, but it gets 90% everything spelled correctly. How crazy is that? Can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what you do. God wants to help you. Wow. No matter what you do, God wants to help you. He wants to help you with your business plan, your political campaign, your manuscript, your lesson, your job, your legal brief, your film, your, your, your sales pitch, your, your, your sports, your cheerleading, your prom queen, your whatever you purpose in your heart. God actually wants to help you do it. But to help you, you've got to position yourself to get the favor of God. And if he knows, he will get the glory. Are you ready for this? Keith, if he knows that he will get the glory for the, for the blessings in your life, then he will bless you beyond your ability and beyond your resources. And you'll, you'll kick back and say, how did I do that? How did I, how did I, how did I come up with that? How did, how, how did I get that promotion? How did I get so blessed? How did I get so, so favored? How did this happen? The company's laying off and I'm being promoted. Things are going bad and I'm being blessed. That is the favor of God by you willingly, obediently submitting to him and to his will. It was years and years ago, and uh, I, I, I am a Kevin Costner fan. The nice things he said at Whitney Houston's funeral, I, I was touched by that. But I, I've never been really a fan of, of his movies. And, and I watched the movie, and it really didn't mean a whole lot to me, but maybe it'll mean something to you. Uh, Kevin Costner, 1989, starred in the, in the movie called uh, Field of Dreams. And he was uh, a farmer, baseball lover. His name was Ray. And as he was walking through, I believe, his cornfield, he heard a whisper that said, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. He leveled the cornfield, put in a baseball diamond, and then began to host ghosts of baseball. If you saw the movie, and I think actually the, the, the climatic part was that his dad, who played baseball, who died at an early age, his dad came on the field and played baseball, and he got to be reconnected to, to his son. And I believe that God can say that to a lot of us in this house today. If we build it, they will come. If you'll make the effort and that idea you have, that thought you have, that promotion, that, 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 that blessing, that idea, I think if you'll step out of the boat, he'll help you walk on water. Yes. 
If you take a leap of faith, I believe God will catch you. I don't think that he will let you fall. You know what? Sometimes obeying God looks foolish. I mean, to me, and, 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 I, and, I, and I should be ecstatic and I should be pleased. However, I like to go out and eat on Sunday, and I'm glad that Outback is open. But Chick-fil-A decided they're not going to be open on Sunday. I mean, can you imagine what a leap of faith that was to be in a competitive market with McDonald's, Taco Bell, Wendy's, uh, Hardee's, Zaxby's, help me. Uh, all of those, all those fast food to be in competition and then to make a stand and say, we're not open on Sunday. What a, what a, what, what, what a statement. And that, 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 it looks foolish in the, in the financial world, but I understand that Chick-fil-A is one of the fastest growing fast food restaurants in the nation and is now in, investing in different parts of the world. Noah looks stupid building an ark in the desert. Sarah looked foolish going to J.C. Penney and buying maternity clothes. Moses looked foolish confronting Pharaoh and asking the slaves who made Pharaoh billions and billions of dollars to go. The Israelite, the Israelite army looked foolish marching around Jericho blowing trumpets. David looked foolish attacking Goliath with a slingshot. The wise men looked foolish falling a star to Timbuktu. Hello. Peter looked foolish stepping out of the boat in the middle of the storm. And Jesus looked foolhardy hanging half naked on a cross. But the results speak for themselves, don't they? Yes. Noah stayed afloat in the, in, the, in, the, in the flood. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Moses delivered Israel out of Egypt. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. David defeated Goliath. The wise men found the Magi. Hello, and Jesus rose from the dead. Give the Lord a hand cup of praise for those accomplishments. Now, let me say this without hurting your feelings. If you aren't willing to look foolish, you're foolish. That's why so many people never built an ark, never killed a giant, and, and never walked on water. Because they were afraid to lose their identity and their cool. And they're motzy. Hello. But sometimes just obeying God, it's silly. God will tell us the silliest things, and we do them, and it's like, I mean, when there's 5,000 men, and who knows how many wife and children? Nobody ever talks about that. There are probably, Linda, there are probably 12 to 15,000 people there, both Linda's, 12 to 15. I mean, I mean literally, <coughs> can you imagine how foolish that disciples must have felt bringing the lunch to Jesus, uh, two fish and five I mean, can, can, you, can you imagine, I hate bread, so I probably wouldn't have eaten that day. I would have probably fasted and gone without. But can you imagine how foolish it must have been for Jesus to bless the baskets and then tell the disciples to give it away? Well, three people had been gone, even if you were, were, were sparingly. It had been gone. But it fed the entire, I mean, how, how foolish, how foolish. I think there comes a time in our life when we need to stop hedging our bets. Who knows what that means? It means we quit playing it safe. We quit doing what we've always done. Maybe we don't need to build an ark, but maybe we need to plant some trees or saw some boards. Maybe there just need to be some kind of, 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 of motion forward. About 50 years ago, in the area of Mississippi, there was a drought, and there had not been any rain. The crops were, they were on the verge of being lost, total devastation. So several farming families called a prayer meeting, and a bunch of families came together to pray in this little uh, country church, and all of them but one had on their overalls, who, but this one guy wore waders. He got funny looks. 
And imagine the same looks at Noah God. Hey, Noah, what are you building? An ark. What the blank is an ark? Hello? An ark? What's, it, what's an ark? Is that like spam? Is that like, you know, peanut butter? I mean, what's an ark? I mean, what, what, I, mean, I mean, can you imagine for there never to be an ark and, and to build an ark? It's like wiring the sound system and never wiring it before. You're putting the wires together. What are you doing? Who knows? But, but we are doing it. But, but these people begin to pray. And you know what? I, I just wonder sometimes if we just need to dress for a miracle. I think sometimes it will be a miracle day. There's going to be a miracle in my mailbox. There's going to be a miracle in my doctor's report. There's going to be there's going to, somewhere today, somewhere God is going to bring favor and God is going to bring a miracle. And why not dress? Why not, why not dress for a miracle? This guy dressed for a miracle. They asked him, why do you have your waiters on? He said, I don't want to walk home wet. And that was silly. He didn't, and everybody else did because in the middle of the prayer meeting, it starts raining buckets, and everybody got wet but him. How cool is that? How cool is that? And I don't know if just him wearing the waiters was enough to push the scales forward in a miracle, but that's like faith acting as if God has already done it. It's called prophetic praise. Lord, I thank you that you saved my husband. Lord, I thank you that you're restoring my finances. Lord, I thank you my kids are coming back to church, back to the things of God. That's called a prophetic praise, and you speak it as if it's already done, and you praise God for it because he's worthy to be praised of what he's about to do. I'll go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. (coughs) In closing, and this will be my only closing, have you ever really wondered what life on the ark must have been. I remember as a small child, we went to Oklahoma, and I had an uncle that raised horses, and we went into the barn. And there was nothing pleasant about that barn. That was the smelliest, stinkiest barn. And I remember times I'd be out deer hunting, and I'll, I'll walk up before daybreak and step in a cow patty, and the rest of the day smell that cow patty and go, why didn't I take a flashlight? Why do I have to feel like that you have to walk in the dark so the deer don't know that you're coming? Anyway, there's really nothing pleasant, but think about, think about life on the ark. I, I'm going to assume that Noah didn't get a lot of sleep. Feeding, cleaning, caring for thousands of animals around the clock. And can you imagine it must have smelled to high heaven, whatever that means. Did you know, uh, Austin, that an African elephant produces 80 pounds of waste a day? And there were two of them. According to the word of God, there were, there were two, smelly and messy. And that's a purity act of what obedience looks like. Obedience is hard work, and it gets harder. I wrote something in, in the margin of my notes. Sometimes, if life doesn't vacuum, it stinks. Sometimes, if life, can you relate? Sometimes, if it's not vacuuming, it stinks, and it usually to high heaven. The blessings of God sometimes will complicate your life, but unlike sin, it will complicate your life in the way it needs to be complicated. When I married Rhonda, things got very complicated. Praise God. I mean, you think that you're single, footloose, fancy-free, do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, sleep, go wherever you want, and then you commit to marriage. It's complicated, but praise God for the complication. I have three complications in my life. I have, I have Christine, I have Courtney, and I have Spike. 
and having having children when you're traveling the world, flying in and out of countries. All every, I mean, I mean, every single weekend of your life, you're in a different state or a different country, and you and your wife are traveling the world, enjoying that. Then all of a sudden, you have a child. That's complicated. But praise God for the for the blessings of the complications that God gives us to our children. Do I have an amen in this building? It's 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 complicated. Sometimes serving God is complicated. This church is complicated. It would, you know, I travel the world as an evangelist. I would go in, love them, brag on them, preach to them, sell them tapes, and then go to another place. But at Harvest, you can't just go in, love them, brag on them. They don't buy tapes. Why should they buy tapes when they can podcast or go online? I mean, I mean, hello, we've kind of come to a day where we're not selling CDs or DVDs anymore. You can go online and watch anything that you want to watch. But becoming a pastor was complicated. Being a pastor for 24 years is complicated. Several times, dozens, maybe hundreds. I've written a letter of resignation on Monday, but there was no one to mail it to. Pastor Rhonda wouldn't let me mail it to my, to my elder. She would hide the stamps. I wasn't able to get it in the mailbox. It's complication. Listen, no matter what vision God gives you, it will take, it will take longer and it will be harder than you imagine. But can you imagine the rewards? And I think Noah is a great reality check. I mean, to, to patiently wait for God's purpose and God's plan, we think about a decade. That's a long time to commit to God, 10-year plan. How many made it has a 10-year plan, a 10-year bucket list? Everybody should have, everybody should see themselves 10 years from now and see where, the, see where they're going to be. 10 years from now, I'll be 60 and sexy. Hopefully, I won't be 60 and senile. I hope, I hope it's going to be the other way around. But, but can you imagine, watch this, a 12 Decade plan. He committed 12 decades of his life in following and pursuing. Can you imagine what God can do if we would keep hammering away for 120 years? Tish, there is hope. Just keep hammering on Steve. The day will come when everything you want, the chiseled steel, everything, everything that will happen. Pastor Todd, you keep, you keep hammering. God's going to bring that, that, that person in your life that's going to be special. Carmen, you keep hammering. God's going to heal David, restore him, bless him, make him better than he was before. There's just something about consistency. There's something about commitment. And there's something about complication. Two people I admire. Two people I admire. I am one. Pastor Rhonda is the other. I am, I'm serious, I wasn't, being, I wasn't being prideful, I'm just being realistic and honest and taking the veil off so you guys can see in my heart. I admire plotters, say plotters, plotters. people who can see in the future and cast a vision, and then I admire plotters, say plotters, people who put one foot in front of the other every day, every day of their life. I'm a visionary. Pastor Ron is the one that has the ability to, to, to follow up and do the vision, do the, as, as, as there are several in this house that have always honored my vision. Almost uh, one day, this would have been 15 years ago, I felt it was important that every single resident of Cleveland, Tennessee received a cassette. That shows you how long ago that was, on the way of an eagle. And since that day, we actually took on the entire phone book and one family in the church took on the A's. One family in the church took on the B's. 
in those days, we had a nonprofit mailing. It was like about three cents to mail it. But we actually mailed 10,000 addresses in Cleveland, Tennessee, to put, the, to put the tape in their hand. Hey, it's easy to say, I got a vision. Let's give everybody in the, in the city of Cleveland a tape on the eagle. I mean, that's easy to envision that. It's easy to see that. But then when you follow up, that's where the work is involved. And that's where God brings us together, the plotters and the plotters to do the work of, of God, going all out for God. It's just not getting, it's, it's not just about getting what God wants you to do. It's about who you become in the process. Let me say that again. Going all out for God is not manipulation like a crowbar, getting what you want God to do, but it's about what you become in the process. And watch this. It's not about how quickly you get there. It's about how far you will go. It's crossing the finish line that the Apostle Paul and making these words, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race, and I have remained faithful. That is my desire on my epitaph. I want to say I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I remain faithful. What better things could you say about some, a person's life or a person where he's at? As every head is bowed, every eye is closed just for a moment. Father, I pray this morning the word will become flesh will be attached to the cells in our brain that this morning through the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel that some lives would be changed, some opportunities would be presented, some visions would be cast, some desires would be pursued. We wait for your season. We wait for your timing. But why not now?